Well, I, I don't know if you read this week. I'm hoping you did. If you didn't, um, you can r- kind of jump back um, in the story and read it. This is chapter 8 of the story. And I, I want to explain a little bit. I had a lot of emails and voicemails um, over Christmas break and kind of New Year's time there. Um, asking me a couple questions just about the judges themselves. The book, this book is called Judges. The, the part of the story that we're reading right now is called Judges. And I don't know if you're like me. When I, when I think of the word judge, I think of a big black robe and a gavel, you know. Um, and, and the problem with that is it really isn't the, the kind of a person that the judges were. Um, at this point in history, as, as we've seen throughout the, the story, you just have people that are rising up, and, and maybe you even recognize in, this in our culture, people who rise up and, and they stick close to God. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity in your life, whether it's a funeral, um, a wedding, <laughs> a big life change event. I remember when my daughter was born, my first child, I had this epiphany about life. All of a sudden, I realized that it wasn't about me. This is not about me. And when I gave London her first bath in the hospital, I'll never forget this epiphany of I got, I got to be better. <laughs> I got to be a better man. I got to be a, I got to choose who I'm, I am and I got to quit pretending. And all these things kind of hit me at one point. And I don't know if you've ever had those kinds of moments, but what happens naturally is you have a moment like that and hopefully you've had one. You have a moment like that and, and it lasts for a couple days, maybe a couple weeks when I had London. It lasted for a while because I woke up every morning and saw her face again and it reminded me. But then it goes away. And, and you have this moment of panic. And whether it's a moment of panic where you realize you've been trusted with a lot and you've got to change who you are, or it's a moment of panic where you realize life is short and hard and you're not in control, whatever that is, that panic immediately makes you trust something. Now, now for some people in our culture... It makes you trust your 401k. People get panicked when they look at the stock market go down or they see something happen and they, they call their stockbroker and they go, I'm trusting in my money. And you, you can see the people that are trusting in their money because they're scared all the time. Because the truth is nobody really is in charge of money and it be, it, it's just worthless. It, it changes all the time and nobody really knows what's going on with it. But you can tell the people who, who trust in their money. Some people trust in their stuff when things go wrong. When they get an emergency, they go get in their truck and they drive somewhere. Or they go home and they watch their TV, or maybe they trust in people, and they go to specific people who usually at some point let them down. And what we see is that at, when you hit those points of emergency, when you hit those hard points in your life, you're going to go to something you trust. A lot, oftentimes it's the wrong thing. And we see a group of people in this point of the story that, have, that, that live like this. They, they go through these emergency kinds of things, they have terrible things happen to them, or a miraculous thing happened to them, and they go to the one that they've trusted, the one that their family has trusted, the one that their mom and dad trusted years ago. They go to God, and they trust Him again. And then it, well, it wears off, you know? Things start to calm down. Things start to settle. Maybe it's kind of like what we are right now, where at Christmas time we get some time off, and you kind of get a perspective on things. And you come in here, and we hold up candles, and we almost burn the building down with all the candles. And... We sing songs about Jesus, and we say cheesy things like Jesus is the reason for the season, and we kind of get back on track with what we're doing, and we kind of hit 2013, but if you're not careful, you'll get into a routine this week, and maybe you already have as you've gone back into work, and you begin to trust something that isn't trustworthy. Now, some of you, I see it in your faces already, you're going, yep. You begin to trust things that aren't trustworthy. And what's funny about us is that we will continue to trust in the same things that have let us down over and over again in our lives. This is what happens to the Israelites. 
at this point in history, they keep going back to trusting in themselves. They go back into trusting in other gods other than Yahweh, which is the the one true God. They continue to make those mistakes in their lives, and it becomes this cycle. So God sends what we have and what, what the Bible calls judges. And these are not guys with a gavel and a robe. Uh, often they're men and women. Um, and if you read this week, you know um, of a, a woman named Deborah who was one of the judges who was sort of a hero um, in her story. And the idea is that these men and women would come into a situation where people were trusting the wrong things. Th- these men and women, would God just kind of raised up in the midst of life, in the midst of junk, he raised them up, and he said, you're going to lead them to a new place. And there's this, the coolest thing throughout the Bible, and, and I, I've prayed as I've read this that, that maybe someday God could, could allow me to be in this situation as a leader in the church. And if you're a leader, if you're an elder or you're a deacon, you're a worship leader, you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a leader in this church somehow, this should be our cry. What God says about these men and women, these judges, when he puts them in a situation where life is crazy, where there's war, where there is a mess involved, he puts them in the situation that every time, if you read this week, you've probably seen this, and if you haven't, I'd like for you to go and highlight this in, in your Bible or in the story. Every time one of these leaders dies, every time one of these judges dies, he says the same thing. And while they were alive, while Gideon was alive, while Deborah was alive, during the life of Jephthah, There was peace among the Israelites. It doesn't say during their life everybody was happy. It doesn't say during their lifetime everybody um, didn't have any problems. It didn't say during their life everybody was together and made the same good decisions. What it says is there was peace during the lifetime of these men and women. And what I love about this story um, is the same thing I love about movies and stories in general. I read a lot of uh, books, and I, I, I uh, watch a lot of movies. Um, saw Les Mis over vacation. Anybody see Les Mis? Nobody. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. Um, I'm definitely a woman when it comes to movies sometimes. Um, but uh, I, I loved it. And there is this, this thing about story. One of the things I love about story, and I've loved it since Dukes of Hazard when I was a little kid. Remember Dukes of Hazard? Now that, you know, yes, yeah. Les Mis, no. Dukes of Hazard, yes. Um, but Dukes of Hazard, the thing I love about Dukes of Hazard when I was a kid, I still love watching it today, is it's cut and dry. Who is the good guys and who are the bad guys? Always. I know Bo and Luke Duke and Daisy, and I, I know that Uncle Jesse's going to be involved. I know these good guys. And I know Boss Hog and Enos and uh, all these uh, Roscoe Pico Trank. You know, uh, man, kids that are too young are thinking I'm an absolute idiot. Love me some Dukes of Hazard from the time I was a little tiny guy. And the reason is because it was so easy to see good and bad, you know? And part of the story. And part of what we're seeing right now in Judges, and, and what I'd love to do is give you some perspective on, on the way God has kind of told this story up till now, is that it's easy to see in this story good guys and bad guys. And now if you read your book in chapter 8, oh, there's a good guy, huh? In, in chapter 8, it's actually called The Conquest or something like that. I don't know what that means really. So I'm, I, I retitled the chapter for us, and I'm calling it Good Guys and Bad Guys. <laughs> In fact, you know, it's something we all want to see. My son is, I don't know how it happened, but he had never seen Star Wars before. He's four years old, never seen Star Wars. I didn't want him to see it yet, yet at this age. 
but he became infatuated with Star Wars before he'd even seen it. He knew all the characters somehow just by watching commercials and going to Target and seeing the action figures. He knew everybody. So this time over Christmas break, Risha and I watched the first one and decided it's okay for him to see this. And we watched Star Wars together, and this little four-year-old looking at the screen, watching these terrible special effects. And he would say, every time somebody new would come up on the screen, he'd say, Dad, who's that? And I would tell him if I knew who it was. And then the next question, guess what it was? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? He wants to know, doesn't he? And don't you want to know? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? It's how we vote for president. (laughs) It's how we vote for class president. It's how we choose our friends. It's how we choose a job. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? And I love this story. Because it very clearly defines good guys and bad guys. But it's not what you think. Here's, uh, here's a good guy right now, isn't it? John Wayne. Some of you don't like him. Good guy, bad guy. Here's the thing I love about John Wayne. And here's why I got his picture up there today. There's some things I don't like about John Wayne. He's a mess. Um, out on screen, off screen, even on screen. This was a guy that wasn't all good, was he? And it, all his characters had just a twinge of jerk. Or just a little bit of messed up somewhere. The thing I love about this character, um, on screen and off screen, is that there's no question he was a mess in life. But there's also no question whether he was a good guy or a bad guy. And here's the thing about God and and the way he shows um, us the judges, is that these are people that he's put in the story. These are people that God has positioned in the story. You almost feel like God's kind of um, looking down at the story and putting somebody in it at the right time, and that's who these judges are. He puts them in the story, and he says, you're a good guy. But here's the thing. It, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean that they are always making good choices and always making good decisions. But here's the thing. The difference between a good guy and a bad guy is mo- mostly about which side of right they're on. That's what I love about Bo and Luke Duke and Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse might make his moonshine on the side. He's making some bad choices. But there's no question in the long run whether he's right, whether he's on the side of right or wrong. I think this is an important distinction for us to make as we read through this. And I want to just show you some of this if you didn't read it. Um, Here are a few of the judges, the people that God put during this time. There was a cycle of life going on um, at this time in history, and it was breaking God's heart. And what would happen is the Israelites, they would trust God, and they would would live in peace. And now it's hard to tell whether God looked down on them and brought them peace and kept their enemies away from them because they were making good choices, or whether their bad choices just led to enemies coming in. But one way or the other, while they were trusting in God and God alone, there was peace among them, and these judges would come up. And now a judge at at this time, they would be a military leader. They would lead in the military. But they would also, if there was a dispute, they would kind of determine who was right and wrong. They would look at it, ask God to help, and would determine, based on what God's rules had already kind of shown, whether or not the people were right and wrong. This man named um, Othniel was a very violent man. He was a judge, um, and I'm just kind of giving you an overview here. If you actually read the book, you know that there's 14, 18, something like that, people that are involved um, and that are called judges, either major judges or minor judges. And if you read those terms, um, those are terms that we've applied to them. They don't mean that they're small and big. Um, they just mean that they, we don't know as much about them. We don't hear as much about the minor judges um, as we do the major ones. Othniel was a really violent man. And you look at this guy that God put in the middle of this story, and you go, man, couldn't you pick a 
nice guy. <laughs> but the truth is, as we watch him, he's a, he's a man that's always on the side of God. He makes some bad choices. Um, but he's an unlikely hero. Gideon, you've heard this name before probably. Gideon, um, it comes from a family of Baal worshipers. That word B-A-A-L, when you read it, don't read it Baal, okay? It's Baal, um, and it's, it's Baal. Basically, this was a god that becomes one of the major adversaries of Yahweh, of the true God. Basically, at this point in history, people are worshiping Baal because it's something they can see. It's an idol often. It's, the worship of Baal was something that made you feel like you were in the presence of something because you worshiped an idol. And God said from the very beginning, don't worship anybody but me and don't make an idol of me. Because when you make an idol of something, here's why people worship Baal. When they made this idol for Baal, they would go to the the place of worship, the, the churches of Baal. They would go there and they would worship the idol and they would be who the who they thought Baal wants them to be. And then, here's the best part of Baal worship. They could walk away and be whoever they wanted to be outside of that. So Baal worship was really interesting. In fact, I don't know how many of you follow the news and, and, and watch celebrities and, and see some of the religions that go on, but there are a lot of religions like that right now where you can say something, you can, when you need it, you can have it, and when you don't need it, you can live however you want to live. The truth is God says, I don't want you to do that with me. You're not going to create an idol because it makes it too easy for you to manage me. And now I know that in this place today, in 2012, there are a whole lot of people who treat God this way. God, you're at New Life Christian Church, right? That's one of the things that drives me nuts about the way that we used to talk about church. It's not like this as much anymore, but we used to talk about God living in church. In fact, when I was a kid, you weren't allowed to run in the church because it's what? It's God's, God's house. You know what that meant to me as a kid? That's where God lives. The Bible says God doesn't live here. He lives in our hearts when we choose that. So he's wherever I am. If he didn't want me running, I probably shouldn't run anywhere, you know. And the truth is, what we should have said was, don't run in the church because you might get hurt or you might hurt something. Not don't run in the church because it's God's house and God doesn't like running. Um, Because it got me to this point in my life where I believe this is where God lives. And the truth is, there are some of you that that act that way. There are some of us that act like this is where God is. And one of the things that, that God has been trying to kill and has been killing in our cultures One of the attitudes, one of the philosophies, one of the ideals that God is getting rid of in our lives is the feeling that God only exists in one area. I can manage that area, and then I can go live however I want to live. This is one of the things I believe God is trying to to move me to preach to you in 2013. Through this story, one of the things you're going to see is that God doesn't want to be a part of your life. I'll say that again. God doesn't want to be a part of your life of your life. He wants to be the center, the middle, the thing that everything runs through in your life. Every decision that's made, every choice that you do, everything that goes on runs through God. There's a few reasons for that, and we see the Israelites. What happens in this point of Judges in the Bible is that these people say, and here's the thing about Baal worship, they weren't rejecting God and worshiping Baal. They were worshiping Baal and God. At the same time, they kind of picked and choose what they wanted. And God said, no, you're not going to do this. Everything revolves around me. And you may say, well, that sounds arrogant. Well, that's, that's God's choice. He did create you. He didn't make you. And he says here, when everything runs around me, a couple things happen. When everything runs through me in your life, 
you become a consistent person. You become a person who moves in the same direction all the time. I see so many families and so many Christian families in my life who really have nothing different than the rest of the world. They've accepted Jesus. They've got eternity. And they come into the building. They believe Jesus is here. They go, they live their lives, and their kids go, so who are we? Because on Sundays, Dad, you act like this, but on Tuesdays, you don't act like that. They grow up and they go, I I guess that God is just a compartment of my life. I guess that there's a little part. You know what God says about that, among other things? This is scary, so wake up for a second. Here's what God says about that. This is later on in the Bible. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. And you know what I do with something that's not hot or cold? It's lukewarm. I spit it out of my mouth. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know this, that God is disgusted. It's like warm milk. Like not hot milk and not cold milk, like that warm been sitting there for three days in a cup in the corner, kind of a milk to God. Yeah, it's gross, isn't it? That's the way it is when God looks at our life and goes, you're not hot or cold. You know what? I would, he even says this, choose today. You go worship Baal if you want to. I don't want you to, but go do it. Don't try to do both. Some of you have a foot in both worlds. 2013 is the time to put both feet in front of God no matter what. I'm going to hit the ground running this year with this. Next, go back one slide there, Tanya. I didn't get through those. I'm going to go through them quick here. Gideon came from this family of Baal worshipers, and throughout his life, he just struggled with this Baal worship, and he kept wanting to go back and be able to manage God and manage Baal, and at the same time, and through his entire life, in fact, some, some people believe that he even went, kind of went back to Baal worship, and at the end of his life, and God still says when Gideon dies, there was peace. Gideon was still a good guy. He struggled with sin. He dealt with this mess in his life. He, he had a problem trusting God, but in the end, he did. And it made him an unlikely hero. As we go through, you'll see this guy named Jephthah. And if you read this week, if you haven't read, you've got to go back just to read about that guy. Jephthah is a weird dude who was an outcast. He was way, way out there. He was a strange guy. Again, um, a worshiper of idols outside of God. Um, He was involved and his family was involved in child sacrifice. And God said, you're going to be a good guy now. I'm going to move you. You're going to change your generation. You're going to lead people to a new place. And he did. And if you read this week, you know this weird story. Basically, God said, I want you to lead my armies. And he got fired up. You know, if you you, you watch the Colts game today, you're going to see Ray Lewis play. If If you're not a football fan, just bear with me for a second. Ray Lewis is one of the most passionate football players, no matter what you think. This may be his last game. Hopefully, this will be his last game. He said he's going to retire after the playoffs, and if the Colts knock him out today, today will be his last game. I love him. He's a great guy, but I hope today's his last game. But when you watch, and they've been showing this now. They show it for all the teams, but Ray Lewis is one of the best. He will get his team together. He'll gather his team together, and then he'll start yelling. Have you seen him do this? They start yelling, and you can't really tell what they're saying, but Ray Lewis is in the middle, and he's got them chanting. All the guys are jumping, and man, I'll tell you, I would not want to be on the other team because these guys are rabid. They're big. They're huge. They look like they could eat your head and not even know, and they, just, they are just huge men, and they, the scariest thing about them is not how big they are at that point. It's not how, it's not how um, athletic they are. Those things are scary. The scariest thing about them is their passion. 
They are so passionate, you feel like they would do anything. And you're going to see that today if you watch this Colts game. Hopefully both teams. Our team isn't quite as much, but a little bit. Um, But uh, you'll see that in Ray Lewis. Jephthah had a problem with this. He was so passionate. And he would get his, and, and, and that passion is part of what God loved, but he would get out of control. And if you read this week, you'll know that he was leading the armies of God to fight their enemies um, and to take back what God had given them. And he was so passionate, he said, God, if you, and you can almost see him, we're surrounded by his people jumping up and down, you know, doing his chants and going, and he makes this stupid promise to God. It's a good lesson for you and I. Don't make stupid promises to God. He says, God, this is this dumb promise. God, I'll tell you what, if you lead us into battle and we win this battle, the odds were way against them. If we win this battle, we'll know that you led the battle. If we win it, when I come home, whatever comes out of my door, whatever comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to you. You can have it. And in that mind, he's thinking it's a bull, it's a something else, or it's, a, it's one of his, his, um, his animals. That'd be the first thing he saw when he comes up. God, whatever it is, it's the first thing you can have. And God's, well, that's weird. But don't make a promise that you're not going to keep. So afterwards... They win, and he comes home, and he's so excited to go home. And in the back of his mind, he's trying to pick what he's hoping comes out of the house first. Guess what comes out of his house first? Now, you guys didn't read. Doggone it. His one and only daughter comes out of the house first. Now, in his lifetime, Jephthah's lifetime, he has spent his life around people who sacrifice children. And believe that that's what the gods want. And it's okay. And he struggles with this. Is it? Is this what the Yahweh wants, the true God? God says, no, this is not what I want. Now, here's what should have happened. Jephthah should have come home and said, God, I made a stupid mistake. I made a dumb promise. I said this stupid thing. And I'm repenting of it. And I know you wouldn't want me to kill my daughter. But he doesn't. And he kills his daughter. It's an amazing story. It's an awful story. See, I got your attention. You need to read it. And read what God talks about afterwards, about how we need to trust him. So this is an incredible group of people. Then you know Samson, an incredibly strong man, whose all of, all of his strength came because of his hair, and it wasn't his hair that made him strong, really. It was the promise that he made as a Nazarite to God um, that he would never cut his hair, and God gave him this supernatural strength, and he had a weakness for women, and beer. Well, I don't know if it's beer, but it was alcohol of some sort. He would get drunk, and he would make bad decisions with women. I know some people like that as well. And that led him to make some terrible choices. But in the same time, during his lifetime, there was peace. Because he kept choosing, kept trying to choose what was right. Look at that last line there I put. That through the judges, it's, it's, uh, this is our application today. That God wants us to continue to choose right, to continue to move towards him. But what he wants most and what he desires most and what leads us to the most peace is to trust him always. You know how that applies to you and me? That means the next time you can't pay your bills, next time you can't pay your bills, don't, don't make a bad choice. Don't do something stupid. You go to God and you go, God, you know, you, you told us that you'd take care of us. I'm going to trust what you, what you tell me. I'm going to trust that you're in charge. I'm going to do things your way. And, and you take the necessary steps. And if you know, want to know what those are, come, tell me, or come talk to me and I'll kind of share with you because I've been there with my wife. We've done this. 
and it works. The next time your kids are a mess and your daughter won't listen or your son cannot do it, don't fly off the handle, don't make it about you, don't do something stupid. Go to God and say, God, we trust you. What is it that you want? And if you need some help with that, come see me. I can lead you to some resources and some stuff. This is what God wants from us. Here's the thing, and I'll say this again because it comes up in the story over and over again. What we believe God wants from us, if you ask us on the street, is that God wants us to be good. That's not the story. God doesn't say he wants us to be good. What he says is, I want you to trust me. I want to be the center of your life, and I want you to trust me. And what happens is, as we trust him, we begin to find that it's easier and easier to stay on his path. Next slide. I've got to get moving here. So here's the cycle. Judges chapter 2, verses, verse 10 through 13. After that generation died, so basically these, these generations would come up, they would get a judge, there would be peace and then everybody would die that was associated with that. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. That's ominous, isn't it? They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal in the images of Ashtoreth. Basically, Baal was the male version of the God that most people were, were leaving Yahweh for, and Ashtoreth was the female version, and people might kind of worship them hand in hand a little bit. And at this point in history, this is what would happen. Everybody would, would follow God, and there would be peace, and then those people would die. Those people who had learned to trust God and God had proven themselves over and over and over to them would die and the next generation would come up and make the same dumb mistakes. And now here's what I think is so sad about that is that I think it's an indictment on parents. I do. I think it's an indictment on parents and here's what I think it means. When I read this, I was talking to Risha about it and I said, listen, can you imagine a whole generation uh, coming up and not remembering what their parents did? Not seeing how their parents live. And Risha said, yeah, I can. Because you know when we make our decisions? You know when Risha and I have our spiritual times? When the kids go to bed. How about you? At 8.30, 9 o'clock, kids are asleep, hopefully. Hopefully the dog's asleep. And we go, what are we going to do? And it's at that point, if we've making the right decision, and if we're trusting in God, and we're doing better and better with that, it's at that point we pray together, or we trust God together. And when we do that, we feel better, our family goes better, God and our relationship is great, but guess who has no idea who's in charge of our family? Our kids. So what we've got to do, parents, is make kids a part, make our children a part of our trust in God, whatever that means. That means when things are going good at Christmas... And this is what we did at Christmas this year. Things were going as good as they can for us. Financially, we, we weren't doing great, but we had put money aside. This might be the first Christmas ever that we didn't put anything on credit. Actually, no, it's the second Christmas. We didn't do that last year either. Nothing on credit card. We saved our money, and we didn't buy a lot, but what we bought, we, we saved for. We had it under the tree, and we didn't feel guilty about it when the kids opened it. Mom and Dad threw some presents in there too, you know, so that we had plenty of presents. And the kids start to dive into the presents, and my initial reaction was, no. Let's stop for a second, and this is a great time 
to remind our kids that this stuff isn't an accident, that God takes care of us, and that we're trusting in him for all of this stuff. And so we did. Before we opened it, I remember Reese has got his hand on a package. The biggest box is what he goes for. He's got his hand on a package, and he's starting to unwrap it, and I said, no! And he's like, oh, are you kidding me? Two months I've been waiting for this, and you're going to make me wait longer. And we stopped, and we prayed together. And we prayed. It wasn't Dad praying, oh, God of heavens, thank you for thou blessing. It, I prayed so that Reese and London can understand it. And I think that's important. If you're here today, it's important for me as a father. You've got to make sure your kids know who your trust is in. Because if they don't, they're going to grow up and be another generation of a messed up cycle. This is what happened to Israel. Next slide. God shows a group of people. You can, you can slide one more down there, Tanya. God shows this group of people, who, and he gives them two choices. And the choices are yours today, too. These are your choices in 2013. You can do life on your own. You can. God has given you this gift. It's called free choice, free, free will. This is the way that God proves that he loves you, and this is the way you prove that you love God, that you choose. He doesn't make you a robot. You can choose to do thir- 2013 on your own this year. But here's what happens. And pay attention to me here. We're almost done. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. They were in great distress. I want you to know, that the, thing, the bad things that happen in your life, please hear me on this this morning. I don't believe, and the Bible doesn't tell us, that all the bad things that happen in your life come because of a punishment or because of consequences of sin. That's not the case. Some things that happen in life come because the world is just broken. And someday God's going to fix all of it. But here's the thing. There are some things that are consequences of the stupid things that we have done to tell God, I'm doing life on my own. The story of a girl that her mom tells her one time, she's getting ready to make a bad choice, and she says, all right, honey, well, she's just a little tiny girl. She says, you can make that bad choice, but you'll have to live with the consequences. And this little girl said, oh, no, mom, I don't even know the consequences. I don't want to, don't make me go live with the consequences. She thought it was a family she was going to have to go live with if she made the bad choice. The consequences are a family, apparently. And here's the thing about us. We know we don't go live with the consequences if we make a bad choice. Here's what happens to us. The consequences come live with us. The consequences of whatever choice you're making today, the consequences of you saying, no, I'm going to do life on my own, the consequences will come back to live with you. And here's the thing this morning, the thing that drives me nuts about this. If you're a, if you're a single guy and you're living in your house by yourself and you're here today and you're going to say, no, I'm going to do life on my own, then whatever. But if you've got a wife and kids in your house, your consequences come to live with them too. So in 2013, what God wants you to hear from the story, if you didn't read this week, if you didn't hear anything else I said this week, if you're not even sure what's going on this morning, what God wants you to hear is this, that if you choose to do life on your own, God does not promise the peace that passes all understanding. But when you do, check this out. When you choose to trust 
God. Now, what I'm talking about here is not making great, be, being the perfect husband, being the perfect wife, being, being the perfect father all the time. It's not making, just making great choices all the time. What I'm talking about is continually trusting God because we know that the Israelites, we know that the leaders, these heroes, these judges didn't constantly make good choices. They weren't perfect people. In fact, they were pretty stinking messed up. But the one thing they all did that led to peace was put their trust in God at all costs. Those of you who are holding babies in this place today, I hope if I've messed up something today, I hope you drown it out and hear this. If you're holding a baby in this place or if you've got kids roaming around this place today, this is your moment to be one of God's heroes, to lead them, to show them that there's a better way. Not, not, a per, not that you're perfect, not that you're good. In fact, show them when you messed up. I remember one time my dad had made a mistake, and I don't even remember what the mistake was, but I remember vividly that he was sitting on the couch with a towel, a bath towel, crying. And I'll never forget it. It's the first time I'd ever seen him cry like that. We're not talking like a little tear runs down his cheek. We're talking about need a bath towel to soak it up, sitting on the couch. And I went in the room, and there was this sense of what is going on because that didn't happen in my life. And Dad had his glasses off, and I always thought he looked funny with his glasses off, and his hair was a mess, and everything. I remember what it looked like, and I remember I don't remember what the deal was, but he said, John, I, I've made a mistake. We, your mom and I have done something and we didn't trust God. And I'll never forget that day. If you're here today and you're hiding from your kids the mistakes you make, don't do that. Because they grow up and feel like they have to be perfect and you've hidden everything from them. It's not about that. It's about trusting God. It's about looking to God. Here's what happens. Throughout the mess of Gideon's life, and if you've read this week, you know this dude is a hot mess. <laughs> he is just a mess. He makes bad choices. He tries to trust God, and then he gets this really weird doubt thing going on. And then he, his the Baal worship comes back into him. He keeps making these weird choices. And God says, because you trust me, because you keep coming back to trust me, the land that you're in will have peace. And look at this. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day, the day that this was written, it stands in Oprah of the Abazarites. The idea of this is that he wanted everybody to know that peace comes from God. I thought about this and I thought, how can I in my house set up something so my kids know that God is in charge? You need to talk to your spouse about that today. Maybe you don't have a, a family yet, or maybe you haven't for a while, and maybe, maybe your kids are growing up. You need to find a way in your house, something to remember, that your peace comes from God. When you choose to trust God, when you choose God, you have a promise for the peace that passes all understanding. And if you hear... Let me pray for you. If you come back and you're hurting in your life, like Linda and Rick Alexander and Nick right now, I just I don't know how much more they can take. I don't, know what, I don't know what else to pray for them other than this. And this is the prayer that God leads us to. God, remind them of the peace that passes all understanding. Yeah, we want the problems to go away. Yeah, we want Nicholas to be good. Yeah, we want him to be better. We want him to feel better. We want the pain to go away. But there is no promise of that. You understand? There's no promise of that. In fact, the truth is, it's going to hurt life. And that's not optional. 
But you know what is optional? Suffering. Hurt is not optional, but suffering is. If you're here today and you're in a place in your life where you're hurting, I want you to know it's promised from God that it's going to come, and I can't pray with you today to get rid of it. We'll pray and we'll ask God, and maybe, maybe it's in his will and maybe it's not, but I can tell you this, you don't have to suffer. Your kids don't have to suffer. If you're suffering today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're choosing to suffer by not choosing the peace that passes all understanding. Am I preaching? There's a big rescue in this story, which I love. God takes a group of people who are lost. They're in the wilderness. They have done everything he's asked them not to do. He gave them ten rules. They've disobeyed them all. They have continually trusted other gods ahead of him. They have completely messed up. This is another time in the story where if you didn't know the story, you would go, "Uh uh-oh, here comes another flood. If God hadn't already promised there wouldn't be another flood, this would be a great opportunity for one. Just start over again, start from scratch. But he doesn't do it this time. This time he sends a group of people. He sends a group of people who are messed up people, but who have decided that they're going to trust God at every crossroads. And I love what it says. It says, and the whole community lived in peace while they were alive. What about you? What about in 2013? What if you didn't just survive? What if you said to God, I want there to be peace in my neighborhood. I want there to be peace in Perrigan. I want this to be a different place. And God, I am going to trust you. And if you would use me, I'll be a judge, whatever that means. You don't need a black robe. You don't need a gavel. I will be peace. I will trust you. If that happened, if half of us decided today that we were going to live that way, I believe over in the next year, 2013, Paragon would look different. Next slide. Band, you guys can come up. I'm almost done. So at the beginning, if you you remember the story, you remember back in Joshua, that the man who kind of was the first person that God sent to be the rescue, and by the way, the rescuer is the point of the story. If, you've, if you haven't read the story, if you haven't read the Bible, I'll, I'll save you some time a little bit. Here's the point, that God rescues broken people. That he comes to the rescue of those that are hurting. Moses, who these people have all looked up to, kind of begins, he's the first leader that brings peace. He's the first leader that God kind of raises up and says, you're going to lead these people. Moses, before he dies, he says to a big group of people, he says to all these Israelites, you have a choice to make. Now, I'm going to read this to you today, and I'd like for you, if, if, you are, if something I said today about um, choosing to trust God kind of resonates with you, I'd love for you to write this piece of scripture down and put it somewhere where you can see it every morning. I love this piece of scripture. Moses begs the people. He says now this, now fear the Lord. You know what fear the Lord means? It doesn't mean tremble. It means realize that he's in charge and you're not, that he could take your next breath. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Worship beyond the Euphrates River in the Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, 
Then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the one and only God. Now, I don't know where you are in your walk today, but I know this. If you walk away from here today and you go, you know what, no, I'm going to push that off. That trust in God thing, that's a decision that I'll make maybe in July. I'll, I'll work on that later. You're making a choice. Here's what happens every time in the story. When people look at this and they go, you know what, I don't need to make a choice today. I don't need to choose to trust God or not. I'll just kind of wait till it comes. I'll kind of decide when I get there. Every time they drift into being somebody they weren't meant to be. I see it in your eyes today. I see it in your kids' eyes. Some of you have be drifted into being someone that you never wanted to be. The reason is because you never chose. Moses knows it's going to happen to these people. He knows it's going to happen to the people that come after him. He says, today, choose God. And then he says something scary. If you don't find it desirable to choose God, then choose something else. But you better choose something. Because if you don't, in 2013, you will drift. You'll drift into being somebody you weren't ever meant to be. Those of you who are in high school and college, those of you who are young adults, you're in this place and you're going, yeah, I'll figure that out when I'm an adult. Guess what? By the time you become an adult, you will find out that you have drifted so far that you can't make the choices that you need to make to be who you were meant to be. And some of you are in the place today and you go, you know what? I should have made it a long time ago. It's too late. One of the things God shows us over and over and over again is it's never too late to choose. 2013, for you in this place, right here, right now, not later. Sometimes I tell you to have a conversation with your spouse on the way home. I'm not going to tell you that right now. I'm saying right now, wake up. Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're trying to trust God. I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. If you knew some of the things that are going, you wouldn't be coming and listening to me preaching. I'm trying. I make mistakes. Risha and I, we're doing all these things. But here's the thing we've committed to. At every corner, we will trust God with everything we have. And every time we're together in a place like this, we can recommit to that. So here I'm telling you, 2013, make the choice today. I'm going to put it out in front of you. Whom will you serve? Now, here's us. This is us as people. If you sit there, you might say, I'm, I, serve, I serve God. And as soon as we start to sing this song, you're going to be thinking about what the Colts score is. You are. I'm going to go back there in that corner. If you've got something you want to pray about today or you need my help, I'll be glad to pray with you. But most of you aren't in that situation. You just need to re-up with God today. You need to answer Moses' question. You need to answer Moses' question. Today, whom will you serve? You know what? You don't have control of much in your life. Did you realize that? Even if you don't know this, God's in charge. You don't have much control. But right now, you are in charge of this answer. Whom will you serve? Whom will you trust? If, if you'd like to answer that today, and you'd like to step out to do it, because some of us just need to do that. I'm that kind of person. If you'd like to step out, you can come right up here on this stage. Nobody's going to bug you. Nobody's going to 
come up and put their arm on you unless you want it. I'm going back there. If you want me to pray with you, come do it. But I'm going to ask you to start the year by coming forward to this stage. You can just kneel on this stage and pray to God, I choose you. Now, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you don't have to do that today. But some of us need to kind of step out so we don't think about the Colts game. <laughs> and I'm telling you right here, right now, answer Moses' question. Whom will you serve this year? Would you stand with us and sing?